Well, good morning, everybody. How's my 11 o'clock crowd feeling today? You guys doing all right? We got a full house here today. It's so great to see all of you. If you're new, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Pete. I have the absolute joy and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here and just want to say welcome to this final week of a series we've been in for the last several weeks called Get a Grip. Now, for the benefit of those of you who may not have been here for the last couple weeks, just kind of want to bring you all up to speed on what we've talked about. In week one, we've talked about how do we keep a grip of our lives that seem to be spinning out of control at times when life gets overwhelming. And so week one, we talked about life is all about choices, and we need to learn how to, first of all, choose the best place. Because where you sit determines what you see, and when you choose the best place, it helps you then choose the best perspective, which then ultimately helps you choose the best priorities and then helps life feel not so out of control and overwhelming. And then last week, I got pretty vulnerable with you guys as I shared with you something that I struggle with that I think probably all of us here today, uh, if we were honest, struggle with, which is comparison. And I shared with you about the different areas, especially as it relates to my preaching and being a pastor that I compare myself to others. And so we talked about what it takes to really cultivate contentment in our lives because comparison kills contentment. That's what we learned last week. And really the key to cultivating contentment is to stop comparing our lives to the glories of others that we see on social media and instead contemplate the glory of God. That's what we learned last week. And so as always, if you miss any of our messages, you can always check them out on our podcast online. You can go to lifechurchbuffalo.com, check out the media page, listen to the podcast. I hope that's been helpful for you. Now, as we wrap up this series, I was super excited about the message that I had been preparing and developing all week. I was finished with it as of like Wednesday and just kind of ruminating on it and getting ready. It was a great message on being planted. And then on Friday morning, God did it to me again. Last week, I shared with you how on Friday, I was really wrestling with the end of last week's message. And so I kind of rewrote the last half of it. And then this week, you know, like I said, my message was done. Friday's my day off. I was at the YMCA with my boys because my boys are homeschooled and they're enrolled in the gym and swim program that they have for homeschool kids there. And uh, as they're in the gym, I'm reading my Bible on my phone in the lobby of the YMCA. And as I'm reading, I feel like God speak to my heart. And he says, Pete, I don't want you to share what you've prepared for this weekend. Really? Okay, okay God, um, what, what would you have me share instead? And very clearly, he spoke to me that I was to share the vision that God has given me and given us as a church, because today, as we wrap this series up, I want us all to get a grip on this upward vision that God has given us as a church, because I recognize that as a church, we've grown quite a bit over the last year or two, and there are many people here today who may not know about this 2020 vision that we kind of speak to and reference from time to time. And so I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you have someone that's maybe telling you a story and maybe they're not the best storyteller and they leave a lot of details out and you're trying to get a picture in your mind of what they're trying to explain to you, but the details are really fuzzy, right? And so, but then maybe you get to see a picture of what they're trying to explain or maybe you read a detailed account of what they're talking about and all of a sudden the picture comes into focus in your mind. You get a much clearer idea of what they were trying to explain to you. It's much like before I had LASIK eye surgery, um, my, 
my prescription wasn't super bad where I uh, always knew that as soon as I woke up, I had to put my glasses on because I could sort of see, but there were times where I would actually forget to put my contact lenses in and I'd go out to my car and then as soon as I get in my car, I'd be like, wait a minute, something's a little off, something's fuzzy. And then I'd remember and go back in and put my contacts in and then everything suddenly becomes clear. And so today what I'm hoping God will help me do is to communicate to you this vision that he has given us as a church so that we could all get a grip and understand what he's called us to because I believe we all want to accomplish something great with our lives. And no doubt, God has given each of you a very specific plan and purpose for your life, but he's also given one to us collectively and corporately as a church. And I want us all to be able to really get a grip of what exactly it is he's called us to so that we could each know what our part is in making this dream a reality. We want to accomplish something great with our lives. And so I want to share with you as we begin a verse from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And to give you a little bit of context on who Habakkuk was and where this, where this book comes into the history of the Jewish people, um, the date of the writing of this book is not exactly known, but most scholars believe that it's somewhere in the last half of the seventh century because of references to you know, a prophecy or prediction of an upcoming Babylonian invasion, which takes place in the first half of the sixth century. So it's very likely in the latter half, you know, maybe around King Josiah's reign. And it's a different book in that Habakkuk, normally when you see in the the books of the prophets of the Old Testament, God would give these prophets a message that they would in turn give to the people of, of Israel. But in Habakkuk, the message never really gets communicated to the people. What we see recorded is a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. It goes back and forth as Habakkuk, much like Job, kind of questions God's justice, and we see God's responses to some of the questions that Habakkuk asks. And I want to point out one specific um, one specific verse to you today that kind of is the jumping off point for our message today as we try to get a grip on this vision. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, after he had just gotten done asking God a question, God responds with this. He says, write down the vision. Write it clearly on clay tablets so that whoever reads it can run to tell others. Now, as I was researching this a little bit, I, I came to understand that there are kind of two different interpretations that Bible scholars disagree on how exactly this verse is meant to be interpreted. One way to interpret it is that you should write it so clearly with such big, bold letters so that somebody who's running by it could be just look at it, glance at it, and know exactly what it, what it says. That's one way to interpret it. But I actually believe that um, the scholars who teach that there's another meaning to it is actually more appropriate or more accurate because what would happen as these prophets would get messages from God is they would inscribe them on either clay or wooden tablets that a courier or herald would grab a hold of, would get a grip on, and would carry with them as they carried this message from town to town, village to village, to communicate the message that God had given the prophet. And so... That's what I want to do for us today, because we all play a part in making, helping see this vision become a reality, and I want us to get a grip, much like the couriers in the Old Testament would carry this vision from town to town. We are all carriers of this vision, and much like a rock climber would, you know, kind of very carefully and intentionally and firmly grip each ledge of a rock, each crevice, each handhold to scale the face of a mountain. 
as a church, I want us all to understand that we each play a part in grabbing a hold of getting a grip of what this vision is as we scale this God-sized mountain that he's called us to move forward with as a church. So that's my heart. And so no doubt, those of you that have been here a long time have heard me talk about this 2020 vision. And uh, I wanna share something with you, a verse I feel like I wanna give to you if you've been here for a while. The same thing that Paul said to the Thessalonians in his second letter to them, I wanna say to you as your pastor. This is for those of you who have been here for a while. With these things in mind, he says, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip. Everyone say, get a grip. Keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. Much like Paul felt it necessary to remind the Thessalonians to keep a grip on the teachings that he had passed down to them. As your pastor, I feel like it's important that I encourage you likewise to keep a firm grip on the vision that God has given us. Now, for those of you who are newer to the church and have no idea what I'm talking about, when I reference a 2020 vision, there's a different verse that I wanna share with you before we begin to unpack and talk about this vision. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, the writer says, so take a new grip, say get a grip. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. You know, maybe if you are newer to church, maybe you have had bad experiences with church, maybe you're burned out on church, maybe you've got church baggage, maybe you're here and you're just trying to, you know, figure your life out. What I would encourage you to do, much like the writer of Hebrews, before we can get a grip on what God has in store for us in our future, we've got to let go of some things in the past. And like the writer of Hebrews says, take a new grip. I wanna encourage you this morning, if you're new to Life Church, to consider taking a new grip. If God is calling you to plant yourself here, maybe you'll take a new grip on what God has for you in this next season of your life so you can discover the purpose that he has for you here. And so what is this vision that I'm talking about? We're gonna find out today, this upward vision. So two years ago, almost to the day, I preached a series here where I kind of unveiled to you and shared with you what my vision is, what I believe God has shared with me, the vision of the local churches. And it was a series called Set the Table. And in that series, I kind of made the comparison to the local church being like a table. Much like in our families, we gather around a table you know, to have dinner and we have important conversations about life. As a spiritual family, we gather around the table each weekend to have conversations about things that are going on in our life, you know, loss and pain and fear and doubt and spiritual matters. But it's easy for us as a church and many churches to become more like if we're talking about a table and we think about eating at the table and we think about restaurants, for a lot of churches, it's easy to become more like a spiritual buffet for Christians where those who are already convinced, those who've made a decision to follow Jesus, to come to the table, and we love what we have tasted here. We've tasted that God is good, and so we just come, and we sit ourselves down at the table, and we feed ourselves, and we consume ourselves, and it's like a buffet. We'll take a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and a little bit of this, because it's good, but we get kind of inwardly focused on ourselves. And as a pastor, I shared with you that I would rather us at Life Church Buffalo, I want our church to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry rather than a spiritual buffet for Christians. Because 
In many churches, programs have replaced the gospel. And we try to be all things to all people. You know, yesterday, I, did, I went out to dinner with my wife and some friends of ours to the Cheesecake Factory. How many of you like the Cheesecake Factory? Those of you that have been there know that they have like a 72-page menu with like 300 options on it. There's something there for everyone, right? They've got Mexican and Chinese and steak and seafood and pasta. You name it, they've got it. And so churches kind of do the same thing. But I've discovered that when it comes to people who are spiritually starving, who are trying to satisfy that longing in their soul, they don't need a list of 152 options because there's only one thing that's going to satisfy that longing, and that is Jesus. That's Jesus. So here at Life Church Buffalo, we're going to keep the gospel our first priority. Paul shared with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he rose again. That is the gospel, the good news that people can find hope and healing and salvation and Jesus Christ. And that's going to be our first priority as a church. And so much like any five-star restaurant does, they typically only have, unlike the Cheesecake Factory, which has like a 72-page menu, most five-star restaurants have what? A one-page menu. Two nights ago, my wife and I went out to dinner uh, with just the two of us on a date. We used a gift certificate that somebody had given us like a year ago, and uh, it was the Dapper Goose. It's one of my favorite restaurants. It's an upscale, high-end restaurant. They've got limited menu options, just a couple of small plates and a couple of large plates, and they do it really, really well. Five-star restaurants have a one-page menu. And so in this series, Set the Table, I presented to you what, you know, my take is on a one-page menu. And I talked for the first time about what many of you have come to hear me reference many times, which is weekend, community, and outreach. That's what we offer here at Life Church Buffalo. Excellent weekend experiences where people can, you know, experience God through dynamic worship and hear from God's word and, and relevant and practical and hopefully helpful messages that can help us live a better life, the abundant life that God has for all of us. But we're also called not just to make converts, but really to make disciples, people who are following Jesus. So we also want people to experience authentic community and spiritual growth, and being discipled in small groups. And then lastly, outreach. We want to love our city by serving it. We're going to show the love of Jesus to the people in our community in very practical ways. So weekend community and outreach. I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit more later on in this message. But in Set the Table, I said we don't want to make things complicated for people who are just hungry. So we want to try to do things as simply as we can here at this church. Because most people are hitting the buffet of the world and they're trying a little bit of everything, anything to try and satisfy this longing that they have in their hearts. And so I said the primary mission of the church, the reason we exist, is to set the table for people who don't know Jesus. People who are hungry. And you have these people in your life. Every single one of us here today know people, family members, coworkers, maybe a neighbor, friends in school, people who are spiritually starving. They're desperate to know that there's something real, something meaningful that will give purpose to their lives. You know these people in your life. And we learned that as we looked at the early church, 
as an example that God always had a plan for the church to grow. It started small, but it grew really rapidly. Jesus made it clear that he expects the church to grow. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. In other words, the kingdom of God, my church, should always be advancing, should always be growing. And so he said, if the church is like a table and people are always coming over for dinner, if we're always making more room for them, how do we do that? Well, my dining room table has one of those things where you can separate it and pull out a leaf, right? It gets bigger. When you're having company over for dinner, it allows more room for more people to sit around the table. And so we talked about how the church should always be making more room for people to come and experience, to come and taste and see just how good God is. It's always been God's plan for the church to grow because anything that's healthy grows. Think about it, right? In life, this is true. Anything that's healthy grows and the church should be growing as well. And so we said this, if anything that's healthy grows in a healthy church, who should be seated around the table? And I talked about how there are three different seats that represent three different groups of people that should always be seated around the table of a healthy and growing church. And the first seat was that of a non-believer, people who haven't yet made the decision to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe they're curious, maybe they're searching, maybe they're hurting, maybe they're clueless, Right? We should always have people at the table of the church who haven't yet surrendered their life to Jesus, which comes as a surprise to people who maybe grew up in church or in a type of church that always taught that the church was for Christians. This is where Christians come to gather. But where I get this idea from is from Jesus himself. Because when you read the gospel accounts, Jesus was constantly criticized for sitting at the table with sinners. He hung out with people all the time that looked nothing like him, that acted nothing like him, that talked nothing like him. He was constantly criticized for that. He's the one that said, go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, he said, right? Go and leave the 99, the 99 that are already convinced to go after the one that's not yet convinced. This was Jesus' idea for the church. There should always be non-believers at the table of the church. I saw a quote this week from Perry Noble on social media, who's a pastor that I follow, and he said this, if the people who felt welcomed with Jesus do not feel welcomed in our churches, then our churches are nothing like Jesus. Think about that. If the people who felt welcomed by Jesus don't feel welcome in our churches, then our churches are nothing like Jesus. So we're trying to create a church here where people who were welcomed by Jesus will feel welcomed here, regardless of where they're at on the spectrum of faith, regardless of the questions and the doubts and the messes they have in their lives. And so if that's you here today, welcome. We are so glad you're here. I happen to believe that the most important seat at the table should be reserved for those who aren't sure what they believe, who aren't sure what to make of Jesus in this whole resurrection bit. I want everything we do as a church to be on purpose and for the purpose of reaching a non-believer. We're always going to make room at the table for non-believers. But I believe, okay, if that's you here today, I'm so excited that you're here, but I hope that eventually you'll move from the seat of a non-believer to the second seat at the table, which is that of a new believer. Because everywhere Jesus went, non-believers became new believers. 
It's important for you to understand that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Eventually, you're gonna have to decide what you believe about Jesus. And I believe that the evidence is overwhelming and that when you experience the love of Jesus, there's nothing else that you can do except but to surrender your life to him. But so many churches are afraid of this because, you know, new believers, much like infants and toddlers, they're messy, right? Their lives aren't completely cleaned up yet. They don't know how to take care of themselves. And so we've got to make room and allow for new believers to figure things out. And that's hard for some people who want their nice, clean, you know, church experience where they can put on their nice clothes and put on their smile and, you know, have church for the week. But if you're a new believer, then really, like children, we want our children to grow and be healthy, right? So it's about taking next steps. And so we want people to take baby steps if you're a new believer, which the first would be just making a commitment to attend church regularly. Maybe that's not a part of your normal rhythm in life. Maybe you've gone on Christmas and Easter or whenever it's convenient for you, but recognizing that as a follower of Jesus, you know, this is something where we get to be encouraged by one another and learn from God's word and grow. So make a commitment to attend church on a weekly basis. Another baby step would be to go public with your faith and get baptized which we're gonna have the opportunity to celebrate that again next month. We've got another baptism service coming up. So maybe sign up to get baptized. Maybe get into a group. You heard Pastor Beth talk about that in the beginning of the service. I hope you'll go to that webpage and join a group as we move through this next series. Another baby step would just to simply recognize that now that you're following Jesus, going to church isn't about what you get as much as it is what you give. That if we're gonna follow Jesus who came not to be served, right, but to serve and give his life, then we need to do likewise. So maybe you'll join the dream team and be a part of creating the environment that enabled you to make a decision to follow Jesus. And you want to provide that experience for others. So if you take baby steps long enough that eventually new believers will move into the third seat and become mature believers. So we have non-believers, new believers, and mature believers, all seated around the table of a healthy and growing church. Now, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of what a mature believer really is. They think it's those people who know the most about the Bible, that can quote a bunch of scriptures. But scripture is actually very clear that mature believers are the ones who have learned to actually feed themselves rather than on relying on other people to spoon feed them spiritual food. And they've learned to feed themselves through constant action or obedience to what they've learned. We have far too many Christians today who are spiritually fat rather than spiritually fit. We've sat at the table for so long and we've consumed so much spiritual food. We've got all of this head knowledge, but we've not actually left the table and put into practice the things that we've learned and been taught. I know that might be stepping on some toes for some people, but spiritual maturity isn't about how much we know about the Bible. It's how much we actually walk out and obey and live this thing called Christianity. Mature believers are the ones who are serving, the ones who are following in Jesus' footsteps. So listen, those of you that serve in kids' life, when you serve in kids' life, listen to me, you're not babysitting kids. You're providing a safe and fun environment where kids can learn about Jesus at their level, 
which puts an anchor in their soul so that when the world punches them in the face, and it will, this world is hard, it's tough. When that happens, they're not gonna leave the faith like so many of our students do today. That's what you do when you serve. Mature believers are the ones who are giving. This church operates because we have mature believers who give and put God first in their finances. This church doesn't exist without them. When you give here, you're not just giving to keep the lights on. You're giving to create an environment where people encounter and experience the living God. That's what you're giving to. Mature believers are the ones who are leading, leading by example, leading in faithfulness, leading a small group. Guys, we need to get a grip on this vision that God has given us. When mature believers get a grip on this, they say, you know what, I'll own that. I'll take that. That's my part of the vision. That's me. That's on me. I'll get a grip on that one. Right? Because nobody in and of themselves says, yeah, I'll lead a group. I've got nothing else going on in my life. Right? I'll lead a group of seventh graders. <laughs> Who wants to do that? Nobody wants to lead a group of kids when they've got kids of their own that drive them crazy all week. Nobody wants to serve on the band, play in the band that takes up several days a week when they've got so much else going on in their life. Nobody does those things unless and until they get a grip on the vision that God has called us to. When they realize what's at stake, that eternities and lives are at stake and we can do something about changing the eternal destinies. We've got to get a grip. That's what mature believers do. And I want to thank all of you those of you who are maturing believers who have taken that step, who have owned your part, who are giving, who are serving, who are leading, lives are being changed because of you. Thank you so much. If we're going to keep reaching non-believers and those non-believers become new believers, we're going to need mature believers who can be spiritual parents to them who will take them under their wing and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus step by step. So thank you to those of you who are mature believers who are helping us do that. So God's plan for this church, as it is for every church, that we should always be making room around the table for more people to come and experience, to come and taste and see just how good God is. So that was set the table last fall, and then this past, no, two, two falls ago, two years ago. This past summer, uh, July of 17, I preached a series called Joshua. We spent four weeks taking a look at the life of that Old Testament hero, and in week four of that series, we, I preached a message called um, Sun Stand Still Prayers, where we looked at this obscure story of this radical, bold prayer that Joshua prays when he asks God to make the sun stand still in the sky, to sort of hit pause on time so that he could have more time to pursue and overtake his enemies. And the crazy thing is God answers him. God honors his audacious faith, and from that we learn that we too need to ask God. We honor God with our bold, audacious prayers. And so as a result of you know, preaching that and, and preparing that, I began to ask God, say, Lord, am I really asking you for big, audacious prayers? And God began to birth something in me, which I actually shared with you on July 17th, 2017, which has since become our 2020 vision. 
with a little bit of fear and trepidation because of how big this prayer is. This is a sun standstill prayer. Without God, it's not gonna happen, but I believe with God, all things are possible. So this was the 2020 vision that I put out to you that day, that by the end of 2020, we would be able to, as a church, see 2,000 people a weekend gathering every single weekend to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And we'd be able to celebrate a thousand people having made decisions to receive and follow Jesus. And another thousand people plugged into life-giving small groups, life groups, where they are growing in their faith and belonging to a group of people that are helping them to take next steps. So that was our 2020 vision. And last night, I ran the numbers to look at where we've come from since that day. Since July 16th, 2017, we've gone from an average attendance of around 250 people a weekend to now around 400 people a weekend. What's even better than that is since that day, we've seen 119 people say yes to Jesus and place their faith in him. Come on, somebody. God is moving. We are advancing. We are beginning to see us move towards this vision. But at this time, I want to just kind of hit pause and, and take a moment to address some things that I recognize might be a concern for some people who hear us talk about numbers, and there might be a little bit of an uneasiness in this, and, you know, why, why do they always talk about the numbers? They just want to be a mega church, right? How many of you ever heard people complain about churches who are talking about the numbers? Can I just, I, I just want you to hear my heart in this. Everyone cares about numbers, first of all. We all care about numbers. We care about the numbers in our bank account. And can I say that God cares about numbers too? There's a whole book in the Bible named Numbers. God cares about numbers because every number represents a life that he created with divine purpose and destiny. Behind every number is a name. Behind every name is a story. And every single story matters to God. So when I talk about reaching 2,000 people a weekend, I'm not talking about filling an auditorium. I'm talking about populating heaven, right? If you want this church to stay small, I don't know what else to say. This may not be the church for you, okay? Because I want to plunder hell to populate heaven. So talking about numbers is about talking about reaching people who don't yet know Jesus, who are dying to know that their life has meaning and we can do something about it. I am unapologetic and putting this bold, audacious prayer out there, not so we can brag about being a successful church, not so that we can talk about being a mega church. I don't care about that. I refuse as a pastor to sit by and do nothing or just do church as usual so that people who are already convinced can feel good about having fulfilled their religious obligation for the week when there are spiritually starving people who are headed for a Christless eternity if somebody doesn't do something to share the love of Jesus with them. Amen. To reach people that no one else is reaching, we've gotta be willing to do what no one else is doing. That's why we talk about the numbers. I hope you hear my heart in that. This is not a pride thing. This is not a mega church thing. This is not a success thing. This is an eternal destiny thing. Numbers matter because those numbers represent people who are going to spend eternity somewhere and I want to do everything in our power to reach as many people as we can with the hope of the message of Jesus Christ. We've all got to get a grip. We've all got to take our part. 
So that was the Joshua series. And then last fall, a couple months after Joshua, I preached 2020, kind of an elaboration on, it was a three-part vision series with one part dedicated to the weekend, one part dedicated to community, and one part dedicated to outreach. The first was the weekend. On the weekend, we gather like so many have over the centuries, which is why it's such an important part of our strategy as a church. When it comes to the weekend, I said three things. You can watch or you can worship, right? This is not a spectator sport. This is why we call it an experience and not a service. We're intentional with our language here because a service is something that you go to and you attend, you can watch, but you don't participate in. An experience is something that you go to and you're enveloped in and you experience the presence of God. You participate in worship. So you can watch, you can worship. I also said you can sit or you can serve. We're not gonna be spiritual consumers. We're gonna be spiritual contributors because saved people serve people. And then I said on the weekend, you can either get or you can give. People who go to church usually go to get but people who recognize, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we are the church, we recognize that we go to give. We don't go to get. And listen, if you're here today as someone who's seeking for answers, you're questioning, you've got doubts, listen, there's always a reason why we go to get something. There's something missing in our lives, and there's nothing wrong with that. But once you've said yes to Jesus, we have to experience this shift in our thinking of, I go to church, I go to that church on the corner, we don't go to church. We are the church and we exist for the world. We don't come to get, we come to give. So I said this, I came up with this phrase that would hopefully make it memorable for you and easy to, to carry with you. We said, on the weekend, we reach and teach because we exist to reach people who are far from God and teach people to follow Jesus step by step. So we're gonna bring people with us so they can experience Jesus which is why we do things like these invites. Guys, I hope you'll take these with you. We had a thousand of these printed and I don't want any of these left over when service lets out today. All right, there were a couple on your chair. There's gonna be more left over. You know, our greeters will hand these out on the way out, but take a stack with you. This is a great opportunity to invite people who might be intimidated by church, but be willing to come to an event where there's free cotton candy and snow cones and bounce houses and hay rides and live entertainment and birds of prey. So there's so much fun stuff to do. This is like a great thing, an easy thing to do to invite people. And listen, if those people are far from God, the series that we're starting next Sunday, the day after Festival, is specifically designed with them in mind. So we can, as a church, help people find their way back to God. So the next part of it was community. Week two of that series was community. Because, listen, here's the truth. If you don't know someone from this community, from this church, who would be there for you if the bottom fell out, if you don't know someone by name and have a number in your phone of someone you could call that would have your back when you start to face a spiritual attack, then you're not as connected to this community as you can be and should be. And we want everyone to find their place in this community. We don't just assemble together on the weekends to worship, that's important, but God intends for us to live life together because life is better together. And I believe most of us believe that statement to be true. And yet so many of us don't actually live that out. 
Because behavior proves belief. And the way we behave doesn't prove that we believe that life is better together. And I get it. I know that there's a lot of reasons why, you know, we, we don't feel like we've got time to join a small group. It's another night of the week and I've got busy work schedule and I've got kids in sports and I just, I don't have time. I've got this going on and that going on. But I honestly think it's because we just don't realize how much we need it. I don't think we realize how much we need it. But at the end of the day, we will make time for the things that matter most. That's why community is so important. You can't just hang out in the shallow waters of the community and just attend on the weekends. If that's all you ever do, then you're missing out on the abundant life that he came to give us because there's so much more. We cannot grow spiritually if we are not connected relationally. That's why we do life groups. That's the model we've chosen to help people take next steps. We want people to experience and pursue authentic community, which is accountability, belonging, and care and spiritual growth, intimacy with God, where you're growing in your relationship with him, community with insiders, influence with outsiders, the three vital relationships. That's what community is all about. But you cannot grow spiritually if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're isolated and disconnected. We've got to be connected. And I hope that you'll join a life group as we head into this next series so that you can take your next step. Because our vision is to see every single person that regularly attends Life Church Buffalo connected to a healthy small group. So we said this in community, we belong and become. That's what it's about. We belong to a group of people that we're gonna do life with, that are gonna have our back, they're gonna help us out, that are gonna encourage us, and they're gonna help us become the person that God wants us to become. It's about belonging and becoming. In community, we belong and become. It's relational discipleship. And then the third week of that series, 2020, was about outreach. Anytime you reach outside the four walls of the church to share the love of Jesus with people, it's outreach. There's something so powerful that happens when a community is intentional about moving beyond what's happening just in these four walls on Sunday but showing the love of Jesus to people outside these four walls. Because listen, people out there don't care how much we know about the Bible until they know how much we care about them. And so we want to love our city by serving it. I shared with you that my philosophy for outreach comes from what Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1-8 when he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so we want to partner with agencies and missions organizations that have representatives in each of those arenas. But we want to think globally and act locally. We want to start in Jerusalem. We want to start in our backyard, right in West Seneca, Buffalo, Western New York, which is why we send a meal to the West Seneca Food Bank for every connection card we receive from a first-time guest. That's why we partner with the Buffalo City Mission. And Judea and Samaria, I shared this a couple weeks ago, so I won't belabor the point, but as a church, we want to not just be about what happens in here, but share and let people know in our community what love looks like. And so he said this, through outreach, we love and serve. Through outreach, we love and serve. Our vision is not to create another food pantry or become a soup kitchen. There's organizations out there that are already doing that. And we will partner with them by providing funds and resources, some food maybe. We'll do drives. We'll provide volunteer support for different events. 
But as a church, we can't solve all the world's problems. We can't feed every hungry person. We can't rescue every person in need. But if we're strategic, we can make an impact, which is what Festival is all about. Outreach is about just touching every opportunity we can to let people know that, listen, we're not just about trying to shove the gospel down your throat. We just, we want to let you know that we're here. What greater opportunity than Festival to do that? The goal of outreach, though, listen, isn't just to meet people's practical needs. Yes, that's the first part of it. But when you look at Jesus' life, there was always another level to it. Yes, he healed people. Yes, he fed people. But he did that to earn the right to speak spiritual truth to their lives. And so we want to, through outreach, let people know that we care about them and that we love them so that we can speak to their greater need. There's a physical need that we want to help meet, but there's a spiritual need as well. And that's what we want to be able to provide through outreach. And I pray that if we could get a grip on these three components as a church, our vision. Listen, the 2020 vision will be too small. If every single person that's in this room today grabbed a hold of this and said, I've got this, I'll own that, I'm all in, what can I do? We won't even realize what God can do through a church of people dedicated to seeing God's kingdom advanced. And so I've come up with something that as we prepare to close, I want to share with you some values that we've identified that kind of describe how we're going to carry out this vision. A vision might give you a picture of where we're going, but values will describe how we're going to carry it out and what it's going to look like as this family of Christ followers carries this out. So I put this down, reach and teach with excellence. We're going to belong and become with authenticity, and we are going to love and serve with intentionality. All three of these values, the cool thing about this is all three of these values apply to all three of these actions. They're interchangeable. Right? We want to reach and teach with excellence, with authenticity, with intentionality. We want all of those values to apply to each of those three things, and they all each apply to weekend community outreach. They're not isolated to one or the other. And so with excellence, it's defined in the dictionary as the quality of being outstanding or extremely good. Listen, excellence honors God, and it inspires people. Excellence creates comfort. Think about it when you go to a restaurant or to a new place. When you walk in and everything is done with excellence, you're immediately kind of set at ease. Makes you comfortable. And that comfort then creates openness. And as a church that's presenting the gospel, we want people to be open to the greatest message that they can find hope and healing through Jesus Christ. Excellence creates comfort. Comfort creates openness. Openness is what we're after. Everything we do is a presentation of the gospel. Not just the music and the preaching, but our physical environments as well. Everything is a presentation of the gospel. And if it can't be done with excellence, it shouldn't be done at all. Paul said in Colossians that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Everything we do, we should recognize we're doing it for God and we should do it with excellence. Authenticity is defined as the quality of being authentic or genuine. Paul said in Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine. 
We want to be genuine as we enter into relationships with one another, as we interact with our guests, as we enter into a small group. We're not going to wear a mask. We're not going to be fake. We're not going to have a false pretense about who we are. We're not perfect, but we're going to be genuine and authentic. And intentionality is defined as the fact of being deliberate or purposeful. We are going to love on purpose. We are going to serve on purpose. We're going to be intentional about how we show and share the love of Jesus to our community. And so from these values, I've worked with my team to come up with a vision statement that I want to share with you today. And it goes like this. We imagine a local church of Christ followers who joyfully make room for people at every stage of belief, who gather as one each week to experience God and proclaim the good news in the most excellent way, who all belong in small group community to nurture their faith and authentically live it out in real time, and who love their world with intentional, creative outreach so that those far from God may be brought closer to Him. That's what I want us to get a grip on as a church. If we would get a grip on this, look out. There's no telling what God can do. This is our vision as a church. This is who we are. If we can all get a grip that if you're gonna call Life Church Buffalo home, we're gonna envision a local church of Christ followers who joyfully make room for everyone, no matter where they're at on the spectrum of faith, at every stage of belief, from atheist to 50-year season follower of Jesus, there's room for you at the table. Who gather as one every weekend to experience God and proclaim the good news in the most excellent way we can who all belong in small group community to nurture our faith and authentically live this out, and who love the people in our world with intentional creative outreach so that those far from God may be brought closer to Him. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And if we would get a grip on that, our 2020 vision will become a reality. I wanna close with two verses and then I'm gonna pray. The writer of Hebrews said this. I shared this verse with you in the beginning of the message and I'm gonna add verse 13 to it. It says, so take a new grip. Everyone say, get a grip. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Starting next month, I'm excited as a church to be able to unveil and launch what we're gonna call Growth Path so that everyone can take steps to get a grip on understanding exactly what this vision is and exactly what part you play in it. What is Growth Path? It's a path where growth happens. Spiritual growth is about taking next steps and we wanna provide a very straight path like Hebrews 12, 13 says, so that people won't be weak but would become strong and discover their purpose and their destiny. So who is it for? It's for anyone who calls Life Church Buffalo home who wants to take their next step. So these are gonna be monthly events that happen every other month. The meet and greet, you already know, happens the first Sunday of every month. Well, beginning in November, on the second Sunday of the month will be step one, where you can belong at life and get a picture of really who we are as a church and become a member, become a covenant partner with us to join this mission and this vision. And then in week three of that month, every other month will be step two, which is connected life. Well, we'll drill down a little deeper 
and help you discover the gifts and talents that God has put in you and how he's wired you so you can find your fit because we want you to be both fruitful and fulfilled where your passions and your gifts come together and your spiritual growth takes off and accelerates. And then beginning next spring, we're gonna start step three, which is to lead at life. For those who wanna lead a ministry or lead a small group or lead a team of volunteers on the dream team here. And we're gonna grow as a community of believers because we're all called to lead and influence others. So I'm so excited as a church to be able to help people take next steps on this growth path, to make a straight path. This is how it's gonna happen, church. I'm gonna close with Philippians chapter three, verse 12, where Paul says this. This is my heart. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. We are not there yet. We're not at 2,000 people a weekend. We haven't seen 1,000 people say yes to Jesus. We don't have 1,000 people in small groups. We have not arrived yet. But I press on to take hold, to get a grip of that for which Christ Jesus has grabbed a hold of me. I want all of us, if you're gonna call this church home, to be excited about grabbing a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Because you weren't just saved from hell. You were saved for a purpose. And I want you to devote yourself to a relentless, pursuit of who God is and what he's made you for so that together we can reach people who are far from God. Amen. Let's change the city for Jesus. Let's devote ourselves and get a grip of what he's grabbed a hold of us for. What is it? What has he grabbed a hold of you for? Let's devote ourselves to pursue that, to grab a hold of it. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can stand on your promise that you told your disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, no matter what happens in this church, no matter what we do or don't do, no matter what attacks come against us, we know that your church will never stop advancing. And God, we wanna partner with you. We wanna be a a representation of your kingdom. We wanna show the love of Jesus to the people in our community. We wanna reach and teach with excellence. We want them to belong and become with authenticity. Lord, we wanna love and serve our community with intentionality. God, would you speak to every heart here about where they're supposed to grab a hold of this vision and plug in and connect and serve and grow. God, would you help us to see that this thing we do called church on the weekends is not just for us. We are the church and we are here to preach the gospel to be a demonstration of the love of Jesus, to bring people to the table. Lord, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? Lord, would you help us to feel your burden for people who don't yet know you? And God, that you would give us that urgency to go out and compel them to come in, to bring them to the table where they can taste and see how good you are. Lord, I don't care about leading a mega church. I care about the people in our backyard, down the street from us, in our neighborhoods who are headed for a Christless eternity. Lord, if we don't reach them, Lord, help us to grip hold of that, to get a grip and to not relent until we've done all we can do and we trust you to do what only you can do. Use us, God. Let us shake this city and make your name great.
God, we love you. We're so excited for what you've called us to. Lord, and we're gonna do everything we can to keep a firm grip on this vision. Never lose sight of what you've called us to. We're gonna keep it in front of us. Help us to be faithful and obedient to what you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray.